you're listening to the Star Wars Reports Rebels Roundtable, the official Star Wars Rebels discussion podcast of StarWarsReport.com. Join us each week as we discuss each new episode. We want to hear what you think of this new Star Wars series. Send us an email or an MP3 at RebelsRoundtable at StarWarsFanWorks.com. Follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash RebelsRoundtable, on Twitter at RebelsRound, or on our website, RebelsRoundtable.com. It's a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. So strap yourselves in, and welcome to the show. Hello, and welcome to Rebels Roundtable, the official Star Wars report podcast covering all things Rebels animated series. I'm Jonathan, and tonight we're going to be talking about the second regular episode, Fight or Flight. And joining me are Jen. Hey, guys. Barrent. Hey, everybody. It's Barrent, Master Collect Them All from the Star Wars Action News Forums. It's good to be back, guys. And we can't forget the professor himself, Nathan P. Butler. Hey, everybody, I'm ready for some hijinks to ensue, which means apparently you gotta send me for fruit, according to Filoni. Now, before we get into the meat of the episode, I think there's a few topics that we need to cover. First of all, I wanted to hear from you guys what the feedback or what feedback you've been hearing about the show, because I've been getting a lot of feedback lately, not only from my Star Wars friends, but from other friends, colleagues that I have at work. Last time I mentioned some some of my wife's friends' children, and some general other people. And the general consensus that I've heard is that this series is really, really good. I think that there are even people who kind of bailed out for Clone Wars are coming back. What are you guys hearing? See, it's interesting you say that because I kind of tested the waters with my students. My students, I think, are about in the target age group for this show. They're about 13, 14 years old, maybe a little bit older than the target, but they never heard of it. They're like, what? Star Wars? Isn't that the thing from like the 70s? Like they have no idea and they were not interested at all. That's really interesting. That's so different. I'm going to have to actually ask my students, although generally when it came to Clone Wars, my students had little to no interest, really knew pretty much nothing about it, at least for the most part, outside of maybe one or two uh, within my AP class that tend to lean on the uh, the nerdier side, so to speak, and in the common interest with me in a lot of cases. But I haven't heard word one about Rebels at all from any of my students this year. Although I'm seeing an uptick in classic era Star Wars t-shirts all over the place, but I'm betting a lot of the students who are wearing them couldn't describe the scene that's on their shirt to save their lives. It's just, hey, look, it's a cool Star Wars t-shirt, you know? <laughs> there are some cool Star Wars t-shirts out there. Have you seen that one with the TIE Fighter or the uh, Death Star? They're pretty cool. Uh, I've gotten really good feedback from this show, and I think that Filoni is not a stupid man, you know, and this was his original design. This was his original idea for what he wanted, and I think he's really taken advantage of it. I think he's taken advantage of them letting him go with this idea, taking advantage of letting of Disney letting him play with the original trilogy vehicles and the music, and it just seems like Star Wars. One of the big complaints, quote unquote, and some of the things that we discussed during episodes of the Clone Wars was that the Clone Wars did not feel Star Warsy enough. And I don't think that that has been a complaint at all that I've read or any of the feedback that I've gotten. And it is just gorgeous. I mean, I think that when Filoni went over to Disney, when Disney actually bought 
Lucasfilm or whatever, he brought a lot of his animators with him and a lot of the people that worked with him on the Clone Wars. And we saw how good the Clone Wars got towards the end. And they just Disney-fied that and just kept running with it. And the fact that he's able to use all these things from the original trilogy and vehicles that we know, plus incorporating McQuarrie's art and designs, uh, it's just a winner. You know, it's just a winner. You know, that's what I feel, too. I think that this series really is finding its stride really early because it isn't just the people that I'm talking to locally or you guys that I talk to every week. It's a lot of the Internet feedback is that people really like this series. You're not getting the the hate and the the bashing that you got on the Clone Wars, even later when the Clone Wars really found its stride. I think so far this is another of these that... It's almost like the fans don't quite know what to make of it yet, because in the circles that I tend to travel with online, so to speak, it's a lot of the really hardcore Legends continuity fans. And it seems like there was a lot of frustration right around the time of the the whole new story group canon type launch and that sort of thing. And they weren't quite sure what they were going to see. Are they going to see something that's vastly different or see something that's more like the Clone Wars, where it seemed like, you know, it's Star Wars at times. But sometimes it'll trample over what they expected or what they wanted to see. Uh, was this going to really make a difference to be in a new canon or not? And with so many, there are quite a few out there who are essentially boycotting any type of non-legend stuff. Uh, a New Dawn sales numbers were not very good compared to other Star Wars books. It did not immediately become a bestseller like most did. We'll have to see what happens with Tarkin coming out soon. I wonder if what's happening is we've got quite a few people who usually would be the ones... Picking it apart the most, the Legends continuity, you know, very focused in on minutia group, that maybe a lot of them are sort of waiting to see what happens with this, and they're not diving in yet. And that meaning that we're not getting quite as much of that critical feedback that we usually would get. I think the series is much stronger starting out than Clone Wars was, and that seems to be the consensus of those who I've talked to who have been watching it. But I wonder if there's a critical segment of fandom that usually is breaking things down more that just isn't part of this audience just yet. I guess we'll have to wait and see. And Jonathan, I do have I have a mea culpa this week. I have to do, have to make a retraction. Apparently, the image that I saw, which I thought was an official image of Gunji and the young Jedi from the Clone Wars was a fan-made image. And I usually don't get tripped up by those fan images, fan-made images, but uh, I guess I wanted to believe so much that they had survived order 66 and we would see them in the show you know because feloni can do whatever he wants so mia copa i apologize to the fans and i will do my research next time i guess i should make my own mia copa here real quick we did get one piece of feedback about the show and i guess there's a lot more people out there being extremely spoiler free on rebels relative to most other star wars products out there and such usually when a new movie is coming out or when the clone wars was coming out with new episodes There's so much stuff online, especially in social media, dealing with the episodes in terms of previews and spoiler images and things like that, that you figure a lot of the basic stuff's already shown up, like the appearance of certain characters. If you've been following anything where people are promoting Jason Fry's newest book that just came out this week tied into Rebels, you know about a certain cadet character that was mentioned last time. Apparently, that and the fact that he was in a trailer was not... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It wasn't out there enough to be considered something that shouldn't be thought of as a spoiler. 
I'm not sure I agree with that perspective, but for the sake of argument, for the sake of uh, listeners going forward, I'll make it a point any time that it's something that's mentioned that's not either from a mainstream book that has been out that is an actual story. If it's just like a guidebook that might provide hints to something coming later in the series, I'll tend to preface it with either what may be a spoiler warning or whatever, just to kind of keep it a little more vague. I'd also uh, think that we would be sort of remiss not to mention, by the way, folks, that if you are trying to pick up Rebels to watch at home, you can pick it up on places like iTunes and such now. Uh, season one is volume one. Spark of Rebellion gets its own little thing with little uh, videos to go with it. You can now also pick up Spark of Rebellion on DVD, though not Blu-ray. And in many of the online retailers, you're going to find what originally was meant to be, I believe, a Walmart or Toys R Us exclusive, which is one that's basically got the little slipcase on it, and it's got a sticker on the front. You can tell it's this edition that has a little ghost 3D model kit, a little tiny kids one, kind of like the old pocket models, slipped inside as a bonus feature. Uh, on the actual disc... In case you were wondering, you not only get a quick little look at Season 1, but yes, they do include all four of those Rebels shorts on the DVD. So it's a, a decent deal if you want to get that in your hands early instead of waiting to see what happens with a Season 1 set. Okay, now that we've gotten all that out of the way, on to the episode. This week's episode, Fight or Flight. A bit of a lighter episode than we've gotten before, either, well, in the limited time we've had Rebels, or that I can think of at all in anything we got in Clone Wars. So before we get into the details of the episode, I want to get each one of your feedback on what you what you thought of this lighter take on Star Wars. And I'm going to start with Barrett. You know, when we have episodes like this, and by like this, I mean something that doesn't really progress the story along, it's kind of like a filler episode. Let me just put it that way. It's a filler where nothing really happens. There is some character evolution. You know, we see that uh, kind of how they're interacting with each other now, how, you know, the brother, brother type of thing, mother type of thing, mother, children. Uh, so when we have these type of episodes, I kind of let try to look past that at what else do we get? And I enjoyed this episode. You know, I, I really paid attention to the stormtroopers and how the stormtroopers act like the stormtroopers we know. They don't act like like clone troopers in stormtrooper armor. You know, they miss their shots. Uh, their voices are a little different. Uh, their armor looks really, really fantastic. I mean, I've, I've heard some people say that their helmets are a little wonky and they're disproportioned. But I don't think so. I think they look exactly like stormtroopers. They kind of look like Empire Strikes Back stormtroopers to me. But I look at that and I look at the different characters that could be in the background. And, you know, I try to try to go with that instead of, you know, what exactly did we get here? You know, what did we get here? We got a store run and some bonding, but what else did we get? And so I try to look at things like that. I kind of enjoyed this episode. It was a, a filler episode, but you can see what they're trying to do and what we will be getting in the future with this. I'm going to be on the other end of the fence, I think. I'm going to preface this also with the fact that I work with children, and this particular week has been particularly trying with my students. So my like my tolerance for goofy shenanigans has been kind of reduced to zero. But I had a really hard time with this episode. I felt like it wasn't really going anywhere. I was kind of bored and a little bit frustrated with it because I kept getting 
thrown out of my suspension of disbelief by like little th- stuff that normally wouldn't bother me. But for some reason, I felt like it kept piling up in this episode, just little things where it's like, wait, why, why would they do that? Or why would this happen? And it kept grating on me enough that I wasn't immersed in the episode. I wasn't interested enough. And I was kind of frustrated with it by the end. And especially the very last bit of the episode left me really, really annoyed. Um, and we'll get to that when we get to the end of the episode, but just like the very end conclusion, I found to be kind of a bait and switch almost. And it it felt sloppy to me. So I'm not, I did not enjoy this one. I kind of have to go with Jen on this one. This really felt like, uh, as, as Baron said, it's a filler episode. You know, I'm sitting back there and wondering when it came to season one of Rebels, when are we going to get the goofy little kind of pointless filler episode? And I never would have expected that the second episode they would air on television as a regular half-hour episode would be the first filler episode. Not really anything in this episode was able to draw me in. I do like the fact that they spent some time on the character moments and let there be some bonding between the characters. That worked well. But it would have been nice to have some context to it that mattered. It feels like, you know, this is like going back to, what was it, Evil Plans, I guess it was, back in the Clone Wars, where it's, uh-oh, these characters, as I said in the intro, need to get into some hijinks. They need to get themselves into some trouble so we can see them bond or see this next stage of what we just kind of feel like doing with this other plot over here. So, hey, let's go send them for some fruit. It's like, that's Dave Filoni apparently's go-to thing if you got to come up with some kind of hackneyed reason for the characters to go somewhere and get into a mess, ah, screw it, send them for some fruit. It just seemed like a weird way to set it up. The character moments that they do have in some cases work well, but it just felt like a whole lot of fluff. I'm sitting there watching the episode wondering when it's going to get to the story, really. You know, when is it going to get to what matters? And it never really does. It's not a bad episode per se. There's nothing that grates against me on it in general. It's just it feels like the difference between eating a steak and eating cotton candy. There was nothing to this episode, so there's nothing really to like for the episode. It's just kind of there. Well, does that surprise you that we got a filler episode? I mean, you said it surprised you that it was the second episode of the regular season, but this is something we've come to expect from Filoni. I mean, we've had a lot of filler episodes with the Clone Wars. So it, I would have to say that this was probably the best filler episode that we've seen from the Clone Wars that we got when the Clone Wars was on. I don't think any of those filler episodes hold a torch to this filler episode. <laughs> I'm going to kind of, I guess, take a little exception to the idea that this is a filler episode. First of all, I'm going to have to say that Jen and Nathan, I'm sorry, I really disagree with you on this. I enjoyed the hell out of this episode. Yes, Nathan, it wasn't a meal of steak here, it, it was, it, but it wasn't cotton candy, but you can't eat steak all the time. I think that this did a really good job. The, remember, these are new characters. It's not like the Clone Wars where you have characters that you already sort of know and you can build on that. These are new characters. We really need to get to know them a little bit more. And I think that's what this episode did. I really, really enjoyed the back and forth play between Ezra and Zeb. I thought it was great. 
I laughed. I mean, yes, there were certain parts of it that were very silly, but it did a lot to move sort of this global story that I think Rebels is going to be dealing with along a little bit. We not only saw that a relationship continues to develop between Zeb and Ezra, but we also saw the Empire basically dealing with locals on Lothal and displacing farmers and taking what they want and really just throwing their weight around. And I think that kind of gives us more, I guess, foundation to work with when we get to other episodes. So yeah, while this wasn't as intense as certainly the last episode or even Spark of Rebellion, I think that this was a valuable needed episode. You know, you, you mentioned something, Jonathan, about Lothal. Why is the Empire on this planet? Is there something about Lothal that they need to be there all the time? Because it seems like every time we go back to this planet, the Empire is right there in the marketplace. You know, what is it about that this planet and maybe we'll get something down the line that this planet is some sort of major point in their operation for world, for universe, universe dominance, for galaxy dominance. Who knows? It, it always, that, that always brought a question. Why, why are they so involved in Lothal? There doesn't seem to be anything there, really. So I think it's kind of like a, an out-of-the-way military outpost where you have a small garrison stationed there and they're bored and so they have nothing better to do than harass the locals. Well, okay. I want you guys to kind of take a look at maybe some little details that we've picked up from the past few episodes. I think that the Empire is got plans for Lothal. I think that just based on hints, and maybe I'm reaching a little too far here, guys, I think that they're looking at setting up a more of a military complex, possibly, you know, industrial Last week, we heard that they were going to take those disruptors and that they were going to start manufacturing them on Lothal. That's why they were going there. Obviously, they're kicking a lot of farmers off their land. Well, it probably isn't because they want to take up farming, but maybe they want the land for something else. Maybe there's a mineral we don't know about. But I think that the Empire does have plans for this world. I can't answer other than I guess to say check out the visual guide starting on page 16. It's all mundane, but it may be spoilerific. Suffice to say, I don't think there's anything particularly special about this planet. This episode starts off with Ezra practicing using the Force in the galley by trying to levitate a bowl. So at least I got the impression that Kanan had at least begun his Force training. And there's a moment where Ezra really thinks he's starting to levitate the bowl, and then the camera angle changes and we find out that it's basically just Chopper screwing with him. That, for me, was a laugh-out-loud moment. I found that hilarious, along with the sound effects that accompanied Chopper practical joke, kind of that na-na-na-na-na. I, oh, I don't know why, but I'm finding this banter between Chopper and everyone enjoyable. You know, Chopper is really starting to grow on me, and I never thought I would say that because there is no secret that I'm not an R2 fan. I mean, I like R2, but R2 always comes off as a jerk, as someone who knows more, and he's just like a jerk. And the way Filoni had described Chopper as being kind of grumpy and, you know, I'm like, oh, another another droid that's going to be a jerk. I don't get I don't feel take get that take from Chopper at all. I think Chopper is a joker. I think he is kind of comedy relief, something that C-3PO is. And he does his job well, but he's going to chide you about it. You know, and, and Chopper is really starting to grow on me. And as, as a matter of fact, I did not get the, the feeling at all that Kanan has started his training at all. I think that 
Ezra was trying to start his training. I think he was doing this on his own. I didn't get the fact that Kanan was doing anything for him. Gotta say, I still think that Chopper is going to wind up being one of my favorite characters of the series. He just, he is a very funny character, even if you can't necessarily tell what he's saying. He's a little over the top with what seems to be just the to heck with everyone type of attitude that he seems to have most of the time. Not that we can really tell because it's not like we can tell what he's saying. But he was very funny in this episode. I kind of wish we would have seen more of his interaction with the others more than the interaction that we got uh, between Ezra and Zeb stuck in the TIE fighter and such. It, it was the most amusing moments of the episode and they were far too short overall. Yeah, I like Chopper. I think he's probably my favorite character so far. I like that you can't understand what he's saying because it leaves it up to the imagination. You don't know if he's like swearing all over the place or he's just telling him he's an idiot. I love that he's basically a troll. He just runs around and messes with people and then kind of thumbs his nose, metaphorically speaking, at at the rest of the crew. It's kind of fun. Yeah, he's swearing. He's swearing and telling people to get get lost. He's doing that. (laughs) That comes loud and clear. So... Three of us involved in education and one a parent, correct? Or I guess it's more than one a parent. No, there are two Um, of us who are parents here. And we all find the one who we would have to punish or send off for a discipline referral as one of the better characters on the show. Uh, That says (laughs) something, I think, about us in some (laughs) So after Chopper messes with Ezra in the galley, Ezra chases him through the ship and ends up passing Sabine, who's decorating her cabin some more and this is the one thing i really wish they'd let this go because ezra is still trying to get sabine's attention and at least she's rolling her eyes and isn't interested please sabine stay not interested that's really a place we don't need to go with this series we learn a lot about sabine you know in the first episode she kind of was maybe a little sympathetic to Ezra and his feelings towards her you know i think she gets it she's a mandalorian she gets it she's smart but we learn towards the end, we, don't, we learn a little bit more about Sabine that I'll bring up towards the end of the episode. But uh, I'll let that go for now. Aside from the fact, apparently, that she wears her armor all the time. But that's okay. That's a character model thing. I gotta say, as much as it's, we don't want to see it go there with Ezra and, and uh, Sabine, I don't know that they should necessarily drop it, at least for a little bit. Because it gives them a basis of interaction that's different than all the other characters on the ship. You know, that he's the one trying to get her favor. She's the one blowing him off all the time because, hey, to her eyes, uh, he's just a kid. It's a different dynamic than we get with, you know, Ezra with any of the other characters or even the different male-female pairings because we don't see that type of interaction. We see something that seems like it might even hint possibly at a relationship with Hera and Kanan, for instance. So don't overdo it. But I think it works as a giving us a new character dynamic, at least maybe for season one or part of season one. Isn't it creepy? Isn't it creepy? They're all supposed to be acting like a family. And that's supposed to be Ezra's sister. You know, it's it's kind of creepy. Dude, we had Anakin at age nine or ten, depending on your way of looking at it, hitting on a 14 year old queen. And they wind up hooking up later. So I'm not really sure that Star Wars is really the franchise to start talking about what's appropriate or not. But they weren't cohabitating. And none of the rest of the of them act like family. You know, Hera's the mom, Kane is the dad, Zeb's the uncle or the brother. Or the dog. Or the dog. 
and Sabine is the sister, right? And it's just it, it it's kind of creepy. I, I wanted I kind of wanted to stop. <laughs> Maybe it's more like an adoptive set of children or like a foster family, and they're just like. Well, That's you know, we're not really related. <laughs> That's even worse. Is this like a <laughs> yeah, isn't it? we're the Millers sort of situation? <laughs> <laughs> I just wish they would get rid of this trope. I feel like it's in every Star Wars ever. I'm so tired of it, of the guy just persistently going after this woman who is not really interested, or at least that starts that way. And I'm really, really sick of that trope because it just never goes away. The guy always just keeps poking and keeps pestering and eventually the girl caves and they have a relationship but i would dearly love to not see that happen here ezra continues his chase of chopper and ends up in the cabin that he shares with zeb and chopper tries to stun ezra misses and nails zeb and zeb is about to pummel ezra when ezra decides to remind him that zeb owes him his life for saving him from callus the last episode i i kind of like that they're keeping this continuity even though we don't have arcs things that happen in earlier episodes have impact on later ones or at least that's what it's seeming at this point dude i cheered i literally cheered out loud when they actually referenced the first episode in this one and didn't just let that go by as if it was nothing because that's something you worry about with a lot of animated series is that the episodes are self-contained they can go in any order theoretically that's what you see in, I mean, frankly, in a lot of Disney episodes. It seems like they have a lot more focus this time. I, You know, there was always a big complaint that George got in the way of a lot of creativity. And it just seems like that they're more focused now. And, you know, when Clone Wars first came out, the, the episodes were all over the place. And Nathan, I'm sure you had a lot of nights uh, staying awake on where this fits in here and where this fits in here. I think it feels good that the continuity is linear and they do reference that. And I hope they continue that. And it's just, it just seems more natural that way to me. Well, that's not to say that the occasional flashback episode isn't cool, but you know, market as such at this point, uh, I'm expecting Filoni and company to try to live up to what we saw the last couple seasons of the clone wars, where it's a progressive storyline straight through. So after Zeb, kind of lets us know that Ezra has been kind of holding this over his head, at least since the last episode, and Zeb is kind of sick of it. Ezra decides to retreat to his bunk after Zeb tries to kick him out, and his bunk collapses on Zeb, which then results in a chase through the ship with Zeb chasing Ezra. And we discover that this occurred because Chopper managed to pull the bolts out of Ezra's bunk. What is Chopper trying to do? Is he just an agent of chaos that that's trying to get everybody to go after everybody else? And Chopper must know, when did he take those bolts out? Because there's no way he could have took him out when Ezra first walked in there and zapped Zeb. When did he take those bolts out? I mean, he must be a master strategist to know when that bunk is going to fall on Zeb. He might have done it earlier. I mean, remember, Ezra was chasing him and Chopper went straight to the cabin. But maybe he's really quick, and while Ezra was trying to make eyes at Sabine, he did it then. He was already in the the cabin. Who knows? I I think Chopper is just trying to lighten up the mood. I mean, it has to be a lot of window time in space when you're flying in space. Hyperspace or not, there has to be a lot of downtime. So I think he's just trying to lighten up the mood and just get people to talk. 
You know, that's that's kind of the feel I got. Not that he was trying to be a troublemaker, per se, but he was just trying to get everybody to lighten up. Not a troublemaker? Um, no, I'm sorry. I think he wanted to see Ezra and Zeb duke it out. I think that's that's his idea of uh, high entertainment. Well, then it backfired because Zeb went after him, too. It'll turn out eventually that Chopper and his manipulations all fit the intricate plot of Felonia, as we will find out that the new Sith Apprentice is a droid. Darth Chopper? Exactly. As I said earlier, Zeb and Ezra really kind of fit this brother role where they're just, they can't stop fighting. And I have two boys, an eight and a 10 year old, and believe me, I see this constantly. They're tearing around the house, and it gets to the point where either my wife or myself will be like, okay, you two, out. And we just kick them out of the house. And that's what Hera does here. Hera, who we've already identified was really playing the mom in this family, sends these two off on a grocery run and informs them that they need to get a Maloon fruit. And as Zeb and Ezra walk off to the town of Kothal, we get Kanan basically going, well, how are they going to find this fruit? And we get the impression that this is not going to be something easy to come by. This was where I started having trouble with the episode. And again, I'm going to preface this with I watched the episode today after a particularly frustrating day with my students and having more like kid type characters running around being silly, just interrupting things, breaking things. It was just like, I can't stand these characters right now. Like I find Ezra to be very abrasive to me. I know I'm not the target audience for him, but I find him to be very frustrating. Like I don't want the focus to be on him. I would dearly love to see some of these other characters in action. So like when these guys are goofing off and then Hera sends them off to do something in territory where the empire is known to be, with them kind of being in, unable to function together strikes me as kind of stupid. <laughs> like it's not a very well thought out plan on her part. I feel like they just wanted them out of the house and I get that, but like, this is not where they just kind of go into the backyard, like a pair of kids. They're, <laughs> they're going into basically a, a occupied territory and, and trusting that they're going to not get into some sort of massive trouble is kind of crazy in my opinion. She wanted him out of the house. That is the perfect, perfect way to describe that. Get out of the house. Go do something. Go to the store. She's sending him on a death mission. I mean, if we're going linear here, the Empire is looking for these people. You know, they can scramble all of the the ship's uh, functions so they won't be able to tell what ship it is all they want. But Callus has seen these people. You know, I'm sure he's made a report on exactly what they look like. Uh, what, how tall they are, you know, they know that they're from Lethal, and she sends them into a death trap for a Melu run. And that, I, I kind of get you on that one. That, that was, you kind of have to give her a gimme on that one. That was not very smart. Not even really for a Melu run, though, because they realize very early on, right, that, oh, they don't grow on the planet. They probably aren't going to be able to find them. So more, it was more of a just get out until you can handle yourselves better and then come back type of thing. I don't think there was ever any point where she expected them to actually find one of these fruits. So when they bump into it, it starts all the hijinks because they're doing something she didn't plan. The idea, its it sounds good on its face if you just want a goofy, fluff adventure. But when you put it in context, yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for them to be sent out into this. It's, it kind of reminds me of one of the things you're not supposed to do, getting back to the... the 
educating thing. Uh, I, too, had somewhat of a trying day with some students. Uh, uh, broke my record of number of referrals in a day today, but didn't have to kick anybody out. When it comes to kicking somebody out of a class, though, if you got two kids who can't handle things together or one that's just frequently disruptive and you just need to remove that disruptive influence to get on with the lesson, what you do, at least in our school, is you find another classroom to put them in. You can't just have a, uh, an officer pull them out unless it's actually a legal thing. You can't have an administrator pull them out. They'd be doing it all day. But what you can do is say, okay, there's this other teacher down the hall. We've kind of got a, a, an agreement going that if you need to be removed because you need to kind of calm down, that's where we're going to put you because being around unfamiliar people in a different setting, usually they just kind of simmer down and, and wait for the end of the period or wait to be able to come back. You do not just say, hey, get out. Because then, yeah, you've just set someone who's already getting in trouble and already having issues that day and just letting them loose in the building to pretty much do whatever unsupervised, no hall pass, no nothing. You're just sort of sending them into the unknown but you got a pretty good likelihood something's not going to go well. Take that and add in the possibility of death, and you've kind of got what Hera did here. Uh, what if they were attacked and they had to take off quickly or something? Now the other two are gone. You would think that it, especially being on Lothal, they got to keep people close. But no, let's send them out for fruit. Okay, Nathan. So what? Should Hera call Han and Chewie and go, hey, could you take this kid off our hands for a little while? He was waiting for that. He's been he was simmering with that one, I can tell. I was. You know, one thing about Hera, though, that I liked is that, uh, and it was mentioned, I can't remember it was mentioned uh, online somewhere, but we find out that this is Hera's ship. That she actually says, you are tearing up my ship, so get off. And... I don't know why I thought it was maybe Kanan's ship. Maybe I don't know why, but it's Hera's ship. And another thing about Hera is that I really took a good look at her. And we had mentioned it last show, but how she doesn't resemble the Twi'leks that we know with the big breasts and the big hips and everything. She's kind of square with small breasts and and very attractive. But it's it's totally such a different character design for any Twi'lek. And she's so smart, but I like the fact that it's her ship. This is another situation where I've been spoiled by reading A New Dawn. I knew very, I knew from the get-go that this was Hera's ship because it was spelled out that way in the book. But Barrett, let me ask you a question. You, you say that even though she's not your typical Twi'lek, you think that, you know, you, you find her, you know, a, a visually appealing character. Did, do you like her as much as Latara? Uh, no, Latara will always have my, my heart in her furry hands, I have to say. Wait, wait, but is that good Latara or evil skank second season Latara? Uh, either one. I like the, <gasps> you know, every man likes a skank, so. What? Uh, that sounded like Latara, actually. <laughs> wow. That's going to go into the, the bloopers and somebody's going to say, that needs to be in the show. <laughs> <laughs> I heartily agree with the man. <laughs> well, hey, while we're dealing with it, since it's going that way anyway, Jen, what what do you have to say about every man loves a skank? I don't even want to know. <laughs> like, um, I, 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 I'm not, I don't fit into that category, so I've never had any experience with this. <laughs> oh, So I'm surprised, Nathan, that you haven't uh, mentioned anything about the name of this town. Kothal on Lothal. Yeah, actually, I was thinking about the fact that it, you know, it's Kothal on Lothal, and yes, that's a little bit goofy, but at least it's a name, unlike Capital City, which, yes, is going to 
bother me until they finally decide to name it or something. Although, gotta give them credit, not only do they name the city, the name of the fruit is taken directly from the X-Wing series by Michael Stackpole. He introduced the term, and they grabbed it as a reference kind of to that. So it's kind of neat to have that little tip of the hat to the legend stuff, and to get the name of a city. So no naming issues at all in this episode, and it's got one of the coolest uh, brief tie-ins to old toys that I'm sure you guys love. So it's a, a good episode for the tips of the hat. So as Ezra is moving through this town, we are introduced to a new character, a farmer named Sumar that apparently knew Ezra's parents. So he greets Ezra, and we learn that the Melurun fruit is not a na- not native to Lothal, and that if Zeb and Ezra want to get one, they have to find uh, a seller that has had them imported from off-world. I found it interesting that Ezra didn't know that Melu runs weren't native to that planet. I mean, he's from that planet. He should have figured that out a long I was time ago. That too. It's like, dude, how long have you lived here and you don't know what fruit is native? Like, and, and he hits his head. Oh, of course. And it's like, well, did you lose sight? I mean, did you just forget about it? I, you know. Well, he does know that it's not a native fruit. He kind of is like, oh yeah, and he kind of says, yeah, I should have known that. But Ezra and Zeb kind of reconnect, and as the two are likely to do there's there is some abrasiveness between the two and they bump into a crate that lo and behold is filled with meloon fruits the force works in mysterious ways they try to see if they can buy it from one of the vendors and he informs them that it's basically been purchased and we learn that it's been purchased by the empire okay i got a question what does the empire need with a crate of fruit fruit cup saturdays to go with the big old crate of ice cream i just got that the empire was buying up everything they want everything anything that has anything to do that has any type of wealth or or monetary value to it that they want to have control over it and i think it's it's a way of the empire keeping the local population down that's that's kind of how i took it but they paid for it why didn't they just take it and instead, they're injecting money into the economy. They paid for it because the one who was selling the Melu runs agreed to sell them. If they, if he wouldn't have said, hey, I'm not going to sell you this, they would have just took it. As we see later on in the episode, what they exactly what they do. Which is an interesting take on the Empire. The idea that if they can, they'll simply use their resources to get what they want. In this case, financial resources. That they are tyrannical. They do come in and take what they want if you resist, but at least in this case, that violence and essentially being that oppressive isn't their first tactic necessarily, which I thought was an interesting way of sort of separating out the Imperials like Callus and eventually we'll see the Inquisitor in relation to sort of the normal everyday functionaries of the Empire. They were even less bullying initially, you would figure, than the Taskmaster and stuff that we saw back in Spark of Rebellion, who went immediately for the bullying tactics here. It's nice to see different layers to the way the Empire works, and it's not always bashing you over the head cruelty. Well, you can't fight everybody. You know, there, we learned from the Clone Wars that you get spread thin. And when you start getting spread thin, you start losing battles. And I think the Empire has learned from that. And I think Emperor Palpatine has learned from that. 
And we did see signs, you know, join the empire and stuff like that, propaganda signs. So, you know, you got to win the hearts and minds sometimes. And when the hearts and minds don't, you know, when the when you run out of carrot, you got to use the stick. So the empire takes the crate of Meloon fruits and some other materials that they've either bought or appropriated, and they load them on their imperial troop transports and nathan you alluded to this earlier yes these are based on the old vintage toys that i have down in my collection room and i i knew they were coming and i really loved seeing them baron as the other toy collector here uh what what was your impression of these you know i immediately recognized them and i thought oh that's great and we are actually getting a rebels imperial transport that's going to be coming out did anybody see those pictures there is those of you collectors who follow star wars action news have probably seen that from different toy fairs that arnie and marjorie have covered but yes it is coming out although it is unfortunately it looks like it's going to be a little smaller in scale whereas in the old toy the the sort of side bays went up to the you know figures mid chest these look like they come up to about the knee but we'll have to see when we get them you know and speaking of toys that's one of the things that disney is is known for is is putting out really good quality toys and it seems like they know what they have in rebels and they're going to put out some toys that people are going to want to buy you know brand new designs for vintage style feel to their toys and i think that's a brilliant combination and We're going completely off topic here. One missed opportunity, and I've talked to a lot of collectors about this, is that the Rebels toys, for the most part, are not out there yet. And that surprises me because it is Disney. And Disney, if there's ever been a king of marketing, it's the mouse. It is surprising. You would think that they would have the toys out before they would have so so many episodes out. Uh, But on the same time, I've seen, you know, spoiler alert, I'm not going to describe it, but I've seen Ezra's lightsaber toy that's going to be coming out. And his lightsaber hasn't been introduced at all in in the episodes. So it's kind of a two-way streak. You don't want to spoil everybody. But traditionally, when a new movie comes out or something like that, the toys, if you pay attention to the toys, you can kind of get where the plot's going to go, or at least some of the character designs that you would normally not have spoiled on you if you weren't going to go and buy the toys. I mean, yeah, thinking back to the Clone Wars in 2008, the toys were out months before the movie was. Actually, that's something you also see with uh, the publishing arm, too, though. Uh, take Revenge of the Sith, for instance, or The Phantom Menace. When those movies came out, it had been about a month. Since the novelization of it, the young reader's novel of it, all the little tie-in books and stuff, the activity books, all that stuff just kind of hits. And that last month or so before a new Star Wars film comes out is usually quite a struggle to remain spoiler-free. That seemed to have been not quite as much of a case, but but somewhat to that extent with Clone Wars, not so much this time. We got a little bit of the stuff, or the little young reader books and stuff like that, but... I don't know, maybe Spark of Rebellion remained mostly unspoiled because there wasn't an adult novel to it. But it does seem like they kind of backed off the marketing blitz you would usually see with something like this as a whole. I think Disney's being kind of conservative with this property in general. I think they're not quite sure if it's going to be a big moneymaker yet. And I think they might be kind of hesitating, which is surprising to me because, you know, it's Star Wars. It's always been kind of the traditional toy money-making license. But I think maybe 
I really get the feeling just with the way they've been marketing the show and the way that there isn't a lot of merchandise that they're they're testing the waters almost to see if there is interest before they make anything. They're smart. They're smart. I think that they've learned from the mistakes of the Clone Wars and the marketing from the Clone Wars and their toys. I think Disney is very smart with it. And what they are going to release is going to be quality and stuff that people are going to buy. And it's just not going to be stuff that are going to be hanging out on the pegs like we, you know, the last few years with Hasbro. That was the complaint. Things that are peg peg warmers. And I think they want to avoid that when it comes to their Disney stores. It'd be nice if they would at least give us something, though, right? I mean, you could take, you know, the Ewok stuff and retool it for, what was it, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves? Come on now. Take some old Aladdin stuff and give the kids some Ezra dolls. <laughs> um, do, do they need Ezra lipstick, too, Nathan? Well, something to at least show that he's got a mouth when it's closed. <laughs> Heck, put Abu, the little little monkey dude, stick him in a can and you got Chopper. One last thing about the toys. I don't know if you guys, I, mean, I was a little bit too young for Star Wars, but when I saw this thing, I knew that the Imperial Troop shuttle, whatever it was called, was an old toy. But I had this immediate flashback to Masters of the Universe and Attack Track. <laughs> it just seemed really bizarre to me seeing this thing that was a toy first becoming like a legitimate object in the Star Wars universe. It was very bizarre to me. It is a reversal of typically what we see, but a, a welcome one. And I think it's, again, another attempt by the creators of this show to endear it to longtime Star Wars fans, as we talked about in our last episode, with all the nods to Ralph McQuarrie. But moving on back to the content of this episode, Ezra and Zeb follow the Imperials to the troop transports, and Ezra decides to try to use the Force to get a Meloon fruit. And I found myself wondering, so the Force is used for knowledge and defense, never for attack, but apparently theft is okay. No, 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 it's knowledge and defense, but here it's for a snack. He's also being taught to use the Force by a confirmed thief, so maybe the moral aptitude of the Jedi Order has been somewhat corrupted already. Not only a confirmed thief, but someone who is all right with dealing in weapons and selling weapons. And letting teenagers cohabitate. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting how Ezra's training in the use of the force is going to progress because where is maybe i wouldn't have given clone wars the credit for thinking about these sort of things i'm wouldn't be surprised if rebels does you know when you mention how ezra uses the force in untraditional padawan jedi ways when luke would do that or when anakin would do that you know we know where anakin ends up but you always think, oh, he's not using the Force the way he's supposed to. He's going to the dark side. I never get that from Ezra. You know, even though he's using the Force to steal and and do things like that that normal Jedis don't do, I never get the feeling that it's the dark side creeping into him or he even has the dark side has an opportunity to get into him. I don't get that feeling when he's using his Force powers for doing not so good deeds. So as would be expected, Ezra and Zeb, kind of screw it up. Ezra, when his use of the force isn't effective, actually tries sneaking on to the transport to steal the fruit. And he's, I guess, seen by stormtroopers and Zeb is forced to rescue him by knocking the troopers down. They both go on the run through the city 
And we learn that Zeb is quite the climber. He's able to sort of scale the side of the building while bringing Ezra and ends up tossing Ezra onto the roof. And then the two split up. While Ezra is running away from stormtroopers on the roof, Zeb manages to get himself a TIE fighter. The Zeb climbing straight up the wall is straight out of gargoyles. So I think that was probably um, an homage there. Well, you know, there's another time and, you know, we're going to get to the TIE fighter scene. But when he climbs up the TIE fighter, you can see that his feet kind of go like a gecko would go. It kind of really flattens out and he has little ridges in the bottom of his feet. So I think that's how he's able to climb. Is this TIE fighter pilot the same TIE fighter pilot that we saw in Ezra's short when he steals that helmet? It looks like the same guy to me. I don't know if it's supposed to be the same guy. I mean, they certainly look, if not identical, similar. Maybe they all look alike. Quoth the everything wrong with videos on YouTube. That's racist. (laughs) Probably just a reuse of the character model. But yeah, it certainly looked like the same one. And before Ezra, or excuse me, before Zeb actually gets into the TIE fighter, the TIE fighter pilot actually takes off. Have we ever seen a TIE fighter maneuver like that in close quarters? I mean, that was pretty awesome. I don't think so. I, I really thought the way they animated that looked really good. And another thing, maybe it's a nod to the vintage toy. The wings on this TIE fighter, and now that I think about it, all the TIE fighters and Rebels are a lot smaller in comparison to the ball cockpit than they have been in the original trilogy. Did anybody else pick up on that? You know, I picked up on that, but I thought maybe that there was two different TIE fighters. The ones that they have in space have the bigger solar wings, and the ones that they have on planet might be a little bit smaller, but the TIE fighters look absolutely awesome. I don't think anybody can disagree with that. They look great. It's another McCoryism. They went with his style of TIE fighter when they were doing the design. So the big wing TIE fighter probably still is not built yet. They're still going to evolve into that. And again, that would make sense. We learn another thing about a TIE fighter. Those cockpits are a lot bigger than I thought they were. Yeah, because in uh, the original Star Wars, we see Darth Vader in his uh, advanced TIE. And it seems like the back of that TIE fighter is right up against his, his pilot seat. Here, you could fit, I'd say, four people in that cockpit. Easy. It's a party tie. (laughs) That was actually one of the things that kind of threw me out of it for a moment, thinking, wait, what's up with the interior of this tie? Is this what they all are supposed to be like now? Or was this something where conveniently we're going to pull a a TARDIS and say it's bigger on the inside because we happen to need to have Ezra in there? It seems like it should have been a little more cramped than it was. The other thing is after Zeb appropriates the TIE fighter and is able to sort of figure out how to fly it. He rescues Ezra. And there's this one sequence where the TIE is actually almost flying sideways along a building. And I I thought that was really cool. Awesome. This is one of the things that I actually had a hard time with. And again, I'm kind of a stickler and I'm kind of a nerd. And I look at TIE fighters and all I can think of is aerodynamics and how does this thing get off the ground? And I know the ghost is different as well, but like those big solar panels are enormous, like, wind-resistant things. And I just cannot fathom how this thing can move and not tear into pieces, and it annoys me. When Zeb goes to rescue Ezra, Ezra's running from the stormtroopers, and Zeb goes, okay, well, now you have to tell me that uh, we're even. And he makes, he makes Ezra say, 
that they're even before he'll let him into the TIE fighter. I just thought that was so funny because that is so something that I would have done with my brother. I would have been like driving the car and like moving slowly and he's trying to get in. I'm like, no, you need to say this before I'll, before I'll slow down enough for you to get in the car. I mean, it's just such a brother thing to do. Maybe I was particularly vicious as an older brother, but I, I, I related to it. That was kind of funny when you think about it. But at the same time, this guy's got two stormtroopers running right behind him, gunning for his head. Let me in the TIE fighter, please. Don't make me leave you behind this time, boy. (laughs) Zeb is going to be the death of Ezra. Watch. (laughs) So they escape the city and in the... In the process, get the canopy covered in fruit juice. We see again Ezra's connection to the force because he manages to avoid a crash by sensing that they're about to slam into one of the pillars out in the, the fields. You see that Zeb almost starts to have that sort of begrudging respect for Ezra's abilities. But then he says, get out there and clean the windshield, essentially. And I'm thinking, well, that would have been an interesting sight. I did have to shake my head a little bit because it was, it was, you know, turn now. And he turns and how did you know? No, I don't know. I just knew. Okay. It's not, how did you know? He, Ezra should then look at Zeb and say, well, how did you know? How did you know we actually avoided smacking into something? Because, you know, you didn't see it either way. You really want to impress Zeb, just get out in the middle of an open field and keep going, turn left, turn right, turn right. Spinning, that's a good trick, and he'll believe everything you tell him. And I like the fact that the Empire has not come up with a way to get anything off the front of a TIE fighter window. If something, anything goes on there, then how are you going to get it off? How's a regular TIE fighter pilot going to get it off? Big solar panels, nothing. That sucker needs windshield wipers. Exactly. The, the fruit juice has the consistency of southern pollen. If you've ever been in the south during pollen season, you know what I'm talking about. It was a very pucy type of... I mean, the fruit is very beautiful on the outside, but as soon as it squashes, it's a very pucy type of innards. It's was almost it? like adipose tissue to bring in my surgical technology. <laughs> and maybe it wasn't to eat. Maybe it was something for Sabine to paint with. Maybe they use it for, I don't know, servicing the... Uh ghost cooling system who knows and speaking of the ghost the action kind of jumps back to the ghost where we see kanan and chopper engaged in a game of well i'm assuming they still call it dejarek and i guess we find out that chopper's a bit of a sore loser let the droid win he won't pull your arms out of your sockets but he will remove the bolts from your bed <laughs> How awesome was it to see the Dejarik game being played on the Ghost? I mean, it really brings you back to the Millennium Falcon. The table looks the same. The creatures kind of look the same. It's something that's kind of universal that you do when you're bored. It, that was awesome. That was awesome. Then we also discover at this time that while they're gone, Sabine has taken it upon herself to decorate Zeb and Ezra's room. And Hera kind of looks at, tries to see what Sabine is doing. And Sabine's like, "Uh uh-uh, and closes the door. And Hera makes the comment, well, it could be worse. It could be my room. So let's just think here. How many cabins do you think that this ship has? You got Zeb and Ezra sharing. We know that we have Sabine sharing. Now, what are your guys' thoughts? Are Kanan and Hera cohabitating or are they separate? 
Well, the only one we haven't seen is Hera, because we've seen Kanan, because Ezra actually snuck in there and got the lightsaber and the holocron. So really, the only place that we haven't seen is Hera. Where does she lay her head down? Her twilight, what are those called? Leku. Where does Hera lay her Leku down? We haven't seen that yet. All right, I don't think this counts as a spoiler. I really hope it doesn't, but if not, spoiler alert from the visual guide, there's four staterooms. There's cockpit, two laser turrets, four staterooms, a common room, a cargo bay, and a galley. They don't have anywhere for prisoners or to hide smuggled spice? Under the bed, maybe? Then, as Hera and Kanan are kind of discussing the wild goose chase that she has sent the two boys on, they communicate with the ship. And as they're talking, Kanan hears the distinctive noise of a TIE fighter and basically you know, pulls a dad and goes a little ballistic when the boys tell him, oh, yeah, by the way, we stole a tie. Again, I kind of had to laugh because it brought me back to uh, thinking about my youth with my own brother when Ezra and Zeb look at each other and go, well, I think he took that pretty well. (laughs) I may also have an echo of like a Ferris Bueller kind of moment in mind. That's really what that moment felt like. It felt like Ferris just got caught red handed. Uh Oh, let's make sure they don't realize we still have the tie. Let's I don't know, bring the tie back and run it in reverse. (laughs) You know, I like the fact that I'd never noticed it before, but I noticed it now where they're code names. You know, it's Spectre 1, Spectre 2, Spectre 3. You know, whenever they're talking on channels that can be overheard, they don't ever say their real names. I think that's pretty cool. You know, Mr. Pink, Mr. Black, Mr. Brown. You know, that's another one of those little details that this series seems to be paying attention to. And like you, I I really do appreciate it. As Ezra and Zeb are kind of moving to rendezvous with the ghost, they see smoke in the distance. And it turns out that Ezra's friend, Mr. Sumer, his farm was attacked by the Empire. They went there because he wouldn't sell it to them. They basically blew up the house and arrested the the farmer, his wife, and possibly a farmhand and put them in the side compartments of the troop transport and was taking them to possibly Tarkintown. As would be expected, Ezra and Zeb decide to try to, to rescue them. And while Ezra is finally able to use the force to release the control that keeps you know, keeps the prisoners in check. Zeb uses the TIE fighter to try to fool the Imperials. Um, I kind of like that the Imperials didn't fall for it for very long. They figure out pretty quickly that Zeb is not who he says he is. And the commander orders the, you know, orders the transports to try to shoot him down. After the farmer and his wife and, ha- and farmhand escape, we get kind of this, did anybody else get the uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade tank battle from this? I have to make it an admission, a truthful Tuesday. I've never seen any one of those movies all the way through, so I have no idea. Somebody has homework. I've seen that trope used so many times that like I don't even pick up on it anymore. But like, so you thought the the commander was it Commander Melurun was was okay? I feel like isn't that like someone showing up and being like, I'm Doctor Pineapple, and having people buy that? Like, wouldn't mm. that just, just that? <laughs> but so they didn't <laughs> buy it. They didn't buy it. They. You know, it was kind of when he, I think when he said, and I'd have to go back to the episode, but I think that was one of the things that's kind of tipped them off. Like, okay, we're not buying this, shoot him down. 
Yeah. Well, it's, but they it slowed of, down. They did slow down. It's kind of a homage to when Luke and Chewbacca and Han break into the detention center. And he's kind of like, you know, what's your ID number or whatever? And he doesn't know it. He's, we're fine up here. How are you? You know, it only works for a little bit until they ask you what your ID, what your number is, your identification number is. And then the, the false, the farce will fall. I see the homage there, but it just makes Zeb seem kind of stupid. You know, like, you know, what's your ID number? I don't know, smarty pants or something like that. I mean, some it's a, the equivalent of that because he's not even trying here. Right. I mean, uh, yes, I am name of fruit. We were just trying to steal from you. I, it, it plays into the whole fruit gag of the entire thing. The fruits on the windshield. The, the Stormtrooper saying, you did this for fruit, which is probably the best line of the entire thing and sort of summarizes the entire episode. Um, but it just sort of seems like, I don't know, It it to me, it made Zeb seem like a fool. And granted, Ezra is immediately like, uh? you know, about the whole thing um, when he hears the name. But still, it, it's what do you want Zeb to be? You know, is Zeb this savvy character who's, you know, the, the one who knows and is just gruff, or is Zeb the bumbler? Because I don't know how well those two play off of each other. Like, Chewbacca generally wasn't the comic relief, but we took him seriously. I'm hoping this is not a trend we're going to see with Zeb, which is this, let's just make him the fool every now and then, because, hey, he's the gruff guy. Well, as expected, the two managed to get away, and... They arrive to the rendezvous with Kanan, Hera, and Sabine on foot. And Kanan goes, where's the TIE fighter? And they said, oh, well, we crashed it. But then there's a look pass between them that kind of like, well, maybe there's a secret between the two of them. Let me ask you guys this. At first, they really wanted to keep the TIE fighter. But then, you know, they, they crashed it and they have that look. Did they stash it somewhere? Are we going to see that TIE fighter again? Is it going to come back? I kind of think it will. This is where, when I said at the beginning, I was really frustrated with the end. This felt like such a cheat to me because they they they, they look at each other while they're still in the cockpit. Like, what should we do with it? We should get rid of it. And they just kind of laugh. And that's it. They just laugh. And and then they tell tell them that they, they crashed it. And then there's this look. And it's like, okay. So, and I'm waiting. Like, after they're maybe, like, they fly away. And I'm like, okay, what do they do with it? And there's just nothing. There's no hint. There's no, it's just like, well, we will never know until maybe they decide to come back to it. I found that so frustrating <laughs> after all the shenanigans that we didn't get to, like, have a little bit of closure on that. Yeah, there was no, I mean, it, it, was, it was definitely a cheat. It was a, oh crap, we just realized that we don't have another 30 seconds of runtime. So instead of cutting out some of the bumbling about the fruit, let's not explain really the whole TIE fighter thing. Although, I, I'm a, on the side that's going to say I don't think they stashed it somewhere. Because isn't there a moment where when they explain that they crashed it, it's, you know, we crashed it. Uh, totally on purpose, of course. Right? It seemed more like it was one of those things where it was more of, the secret, if there is a secret, was that they kind of accidentally probably crashed it because they couldn't handle it well. And now they're playing it off as if they did it on purpose. Not, oh, we say we crashed it, but really we stashed it somewhere. I'm not buying that we're going to see this again. You know, I'm going to have to go on the side of Jonathan. I think they stashed it. It doesn't make any sense. Why would they crash a perfectly good TIE fighter that they would be able to use? I mean, these guys are rebels. They're survivors. 
you know, they have to use whatever nature gives them or, you know, whatever destiny gives them, they have to be able to use that somehow. And it does not make sense for them to crash that TIE fighter when they could stash it in a perfectly good place, sell it to Visago, sell it to Visago. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to crash it. They could just pull out the the transponder, whatever it is that uh, the Empire could track them with. So I'm with you, Nathan. I think they stashed it. Actually, I said that. He said they didn't. Uh, well, I'm with me. I think they stashed it. You should know you didn't agree with me. That never happens. I mean, did I say Nathan? I meant Jonathan. You guys always have an at and then in at the end. So I'm with you, Jonathan. I think they stashed it. The episode ends out with Ezra and Zeb kind of reaching a understanding and almost a friendship between the two. But as they're kind of filling the brother roles, anyone who has a brother who has seen brothers knows that that can change in an instant. So we'll just have to see where this series takes them. We're also left with the mural that Sabine paints in Ezra and Zeb's room of Ezra's bunk collapsing on Zeb. And I guess the only thing I was left with that is, well, I thought Sabine was a better artist than that. Yes, I'm glad you said that. And this is what I was trying to bring up in the beginning of this episode of our show. Sabine is terrible. I mean, they didn't show us what she was painting in her own room. But when you look at her armor and some of the other things that she's painted, it's kind of abstract. But what she painted on their wall was it was horrible. It's horrible. I think it was supposed to be kind of stylized, though. I don't think it was supposed to be like a tableau or anything. But I think it was just kind of a goofy, almost cartoon, comic kind of style of drawing. Just to make them look silly because they looked really dumb. And she I think spent that was a lot of point. time on that finger painting. <laughs> whatever it was she spent a lot she spent the whole episode on that thing and that's what she could that's what she got oh my that's what we got that's that's terrible now nah, i'm with jen i think it was meant to be goofy i mean you you can find serious artists like take someone like a chris travas he could probably do the most amazing star wars artwork out there but at the same time do something cartoony and goofy if the project called for it and this certainly called for something goofy and mocking but, you know, it wasn't the fact that it was goofy and mocking. It was the fact that the lines were all off. It was just it just was not a good piece of art, in my opinion. It it looked like a child did it. You know, I mean, Pharaoh draws all the time. I mean, I could pull up some some pictures when he was in the fourth, third, fourth grade. And it would look just like that. You know, you I would just. She spent so much time on it. You know, it wasn't like something she whipped up right when they came in. She was spending some time on it. I don't know. I, I, I just expected something better from a Mandalorian artist. So when looking at this episode, I, I think we've kind of drawn a division in the group today. I think Barrett and I are positive toward this episode and Jen and Nathan, maybe not so much. But let's see if my interpretation is correct. Looking back at this episode, this, you know, being the the humorous light. What are your overall impressions? Is this okay or could we have done without it? And Jen, why don't you start us off? Uh, I think we could have maybe done without this episode. I don't know. I am one of those people that's always interested in the character interactions, in character growth, in uh, character moments where they're building on each other or, or developing new relationships with each other. And so this should have been right up my alley and I really disliked it. Um, so 
I, I had, I think that the, the character building with Zeb and Ezra was important, but I wish they had done it in any way other than this just long, goofy, kind of antagonistic, constant butting heads thing. I found it really abrasive and really frustrating. You know, Jen, I am kind of the opposite. You know, I rather like the action packed episodes. Uh, where there's a lot of shooting and lightsabers and explosions and save that character stuff for the books. Okay. If you want more character interaction where you can make it long and drawn out, put it in a book. If you want to read the book to find out that Hera and Kanan have some sort of relationship and how it all started, that's fine. I just want to see him kiss and blow something up. But I kind of enjoyed this and you know the best parts of the episode wasn't the goofing around and the brother type part for me the best parts of the episode was the cockpit where you would show the cockpit i mean one of the best scenes in this episode is when the troopers are transporting their prisoners and it keeps showing the cockpit of the two troopers who are the pilots and then the the commander or whatever and if you look very closely the imperial officers badges every time he moves there's a glint of shine on it you know that shines right into the camera i mean just little things like that that make this episode enjoyable for me you know if you can overlook kind of the goofy things you know i'm not a teacher i don't teach 14 year olds you know i don't have to kick them out of my class or fail them or whatever the heck you guys have to do um so the antics didn't bother me as much i don't want Many of these types of episodes, I want to see more of the Empire. I want to see Agent Callus. I want to see the Inquisitor. I want to see Darth Vader. I want to see the Emperor. But every once in a while, you throw something like this in, I, I can go with it. I can go with it. Now, my attitude may change the next time we get one, and it's all Chopper and R2 or something like that. But this one didn't bother me as much. I, I enjoyed it, and it's time to move on. And if we know anything of Filoni's pattern, he'll give us one of these filler episodes and then the next episode will be fantastic. You know, I I think this is one we could have done without. Uh, we do need character development as time goes on, uh, and the banter sometimes provides that. The the goofing off of Chopper provides that. I, I think I need to put out some holy water, some crosses, and grab some garlic or something um, uh, to ward off Baron's idea of... of Oh, well, just save the character development for the books. I may have to beat someone. But you don't necessarily need it embedded in all of this cotton candy style fluff. As an episode in and of itself, is it a bad episode? It's not good, per se. It's just kind of yeah. And I guess after we got such a time crunch at the end of The Clone Wars, right? We got season five that had those particular arcs and it all built up. And you would get the one bad one, like a sunny day in the void, that would grate against you. You'd be thinking, why did they need to do that episode? Why couldn't we have gotten something else in its place? And then it's the Lost Missions, the Season 6 stuff. Boy, cool to see these episodes, but maybe it would have been cooler to see maybe another Maul arc in place of, say, the Jar Jar and Mace one. It seems like a lot of times when I look at these series, because I want so much new Star Wars stuff to be really, really good... Then I look at anything that's not an episode I could, you know, give a thumbs up recommendation to as a good episode, as a missed opportunity and a slot that shouldn't have been filled by the fluff because in its place we could have gotten something that was actually really good and mattered. So in that sense, 
I wish this episode didn't exist. But I'm not necessarily going to say don't watch it. It's just you could skip it and it would matter not at all. And I would like to think that Filoni is above that at this point. Okay, and and this shouldn't surprise anyone, but I enjoyed this episode. Was it the best episode that we've seen? No, I don't think so. But you know what? It was fun. It was enjoyable. It was lighthearted, and it kind of played with the characters that we're getting to know. I didn't have a problem with it. There were some things, as I said, that kind of moved along some of the greater themes that I think we're going to see in Rebels. But, you know, we don't need those intense episodes every single time. I enjoyed it. I had fun watching it. It'll probably be an episode I go back and watch again because, again, I think it did what it set out to do. I think we're going to have to get used to these, Jonathan, these episodes, because it's Disney now. And Disney can be dark, but they're not known for their dark tones you know they're known for their light tones and and this kind of uh shenanigans so i think we may have to start getting used to these type of episodes i'm just waiting for the musical numbers critics 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 <laughs> nobody wants to agree with that no i mean i barrett i think you have a point we we already know that disney is kind of giving a different spin on some of star wars we we've seen them kind of change the character models we've seen them kind of change the the approach that maybe the traditional approach that was brought up but so far i don't have a problem with it i mean it it could go too far that direction but i I think at this point we'll have to wait and see and i've seen far more good than bad with this series and i i think from the feedback i'm getting from fans both casual and uh well, like us, uh, that this this show is is doing well, and it, and it's and it's meeting people's need for Star Wars. But looking ahead, next week we're going to be covering, I think, what will turn out to be a much darker episode: the rise of the old masters. And I know that this is available on Watch Disney XD a full week before. I haven't had the chance to see it yet, but the feedback I've gotten from those who have has been extremely positive, so I can't wait to talk about it with you guys. Well, I've already seen the episode, and I think I'm the only one out of this whole group who has done my studies. And I have seen the episode, and I'm not going to spoil it for anybody, but it probably is the best episode we've gotten yet, and that includes Spark of Rebellion. Well, it's something to look forward to. And also speaking of looking forward, Nathan, I believe that you have some information to share with our listeners. Yes, that's right. I'm not sure what day it will arrive yet, but you may know if you listen to Star Wars Beyond the Films that recently uh, I had the opportunity to work with John Jackson Miller, the guy that wrote A New Dawn, and we put together an X-Wing miniatures game scenario that is based somewhat on one of the encounters late in that book, basically taking some of the miniatures that already exist having one be essentially in place of the ship that's being flown by Kanan and Hera at one point, albeit not the ghost in that particular scene, in relation to a TIE fighter struggle and stuff like that. Just kind of a cool little space battle with mechanics specifically designed around some of the unique circumstances of that particular scene. Uh, He just premiered it at a Galaxy Comics and Games Wisconsin event in the actual store, and now that it's out there, I believe I should be able to actually post that scenario. It's not anything canonical or anything like that, um, but if you play the X-Wing game and you read A New Dawn and you're getting into these Rebels characters, 
might have kind of a fun chance here to basically step into our hero's shoes for some X-Wing action. So as soon as I'm able to put it up, it'll go up on the same website you can go to for the show, rebelsroundtable.com. Uh, it'll be linked under our category on the website. Well, until next time, I want to thank you guys for joining me to discuss this episode. Even though we don't always agree, I always like discussing them with you. So until next we meet, have a good evening, all. See you next time. Talk with you guys later. No, Jonathan, I have to disagree. Have a great night. And before we go, a special thank you to Brock for recording our new intro and credits. It's kind of a nice carryover from Republic Forces Radio Network, and hopefully he'll be able to join us on the show at some point. Yeah, Brock, thank you very, very much. You know, your your voice, it, it really connects the two shows together. Our listeners know Brock from Republic Forces Radio and things he's done with Venganza Media, but Brock actually has his own show, uh, his own podcast on iTunes, and it's But I Digress. And I listen to that podcast every time it comes out, and it's a really good show. You guys might want to check that out. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Star Wars Report's Rebels Roundtable. Rebels Roundtable is hosted by Jonathan, Barrent, Jen, Nathan, Mark, and Dan. Interact with us online at facebook.com slash rebelsroundtable or on Twitter at rebelsround. Also, be sure to visit rebelsroundtable.com when looking for an episode directory of the show. The Rebels Roundtable team is proud to carry on the legacy of Venganza Media's Republic Forces Radio Network podcast. We invite you to visit RepublicForces.com's archive section to hear many of the team members' thoughts on the Clone Wars, Droids, Ewoks, and the Clone Wars micro-series. And check out Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official Expanded Universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com, which you can find among the second Airborne Division podcast network at StarWarsReport.com. Star Wars Rebels and all that the Star Wars universe contains is the intellectual property of the Walt Disney Company, and no infringement is intended. Star Wars Report's Rebels Roundtable is copyright 2014, all rights reserved. Fight or flight. And joining me... Okay. That wasn't me. Wasn't me. Barrett. It's his fault. All right, that was me. <laughs> Mute. What did What did you give Sean crap about last week? What would uh, Arnie do to you? Nothing. <laughs> no, Jonathan. I have to disagree. Have a great night. <laughs> Is this the kind of relationship we're going to have now, Nathan? Are you and I going to be the ones no. that? Uh, <laughs> that are always going to be conflictual. Constant you and Barrett going to start getting along. Cats and dogs know. living together. We'll What's going on here? Fruit. Yep. <laughs> start telling the audience about the Twinkie. Yep. <laughs> and another big thanks uh, to Brock from the Republic Forces Radio Network days for doing our new intro and uh, outro narration. Thanks, Brock. This is it's Brock. good to hear your silky voice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Way to make everything creepy. Yeah, I was going to say, was that too creepy? Was that a little creepy?
Wait a cue. Please stop talking.